The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Ian Irving and what a treat we have for you today because England are into the semi-finals of the Euros after an extra time win over Spain. The Athletic Women's Football Pod with Kelly Summers has all the reaction from Lioness legend Kelly Smith plus journalist Jen O'Neill and you'll also hear from a jubilant England camp to a dramatic yet brilliant night at Brighton. Enjoy. Lauren Hill. So difficult to stop. Oh! Well, hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros Edition. Coming up, England out on the tune. Can anyone stand in the way of the Lionesses? And will Fire Singer light it up against Germany? Well, it's Kelly Summers here and joining me to reflect on a dramatic first night of quarterfinal action is England legend Kelly Smith and former Sunderland player and She Kicks magazine editor Jen O'Neill. Well, the hosts England are through to the semi-finals, but they were just six minutes away from being knocked out in the quarters of a home Euros. Jen, firstly, you're still at the Amex. You're carrying away in what looks like a kitchen, very near, (laughs) I'm told, a beer fridge. I imagine there's a few journalists needing some of those after what we've just seen there. Definitely, although they came in and grabbed them and then they've headed off to the press conference in the mix (laughs) zone. It's now the noisy photographers who are flocking in. Tell us, what was the atmosphere like there? Because on TV, it looked tense but electric. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. The game against Norway was wonderful as well. I think the crowd here just kind of get it. It's a bit more of a football crowd. And you do worry, don't you, when the, the team's struggling, which they were for, for spells, certainly in the, the second half. You worry that the, the crowd's going to get tense, but they were right behind the side, weren't they? And whenever there was an opportunity, they got behind them in, in noise. And that really lifts them. It lifts the players. It was fantastic to see. I want to let the listener in on what we're seeing here on the Zoom call because as Jen is talking, there are people going behind her to get, I'm guessing, beers. Maybe it's champagne. Who knows? No, that's the kitchen staff. Oh, they're, they're filling it up. They're making sure there's enough there that everyone's staying hydrated and lubricated. Well, Kelly, I've got to come to you because you're watching from home, but what an occasion once again. But we thought that the chance to inspire a nation has slipped away for a second, didn't we? It came incredibly close to England going out. It did. I literally don't know how I'm going to sleep tonight, guys, because my (laughs) adrenaline is pumping through my veins. I don't know how the players are going to sleep. It's now whatever time it is after the game. And these players are not going to sleep tonight till three or four in the morning because of the bars and the way they performed, I don't think it was the best performance, but they obviously they dug deep. Fabulous team defending. I thought Spain, it was the best game that they've played so far this tournament. They really turned up. But England suffered at large parts of this game. They dug deep. They found a way to win. Grit, determination. Their game management was so good in the last part of the, the game. And they just found another gear. Once that goal went in, you saw the players just lift and believe 
which is unheard of in England team <laughs> to come back like that. It was just a brilliant performance. And like you said, six minutes from going away out of the tournament and then to win kind of convincingly at the end, quite comfortably at times. It was just brilliant. It was brilliant. Proud to be English. Yeah, there is so much for us to talk about, isn't there? I tell you what, the knockout stages have certainly begun with a bang. <laughs> Even the news at 10 was postponed. Let's get stuck in. Well, for the first hour, Spain dominated the chances and England conceded for the first time at the Euros. Esther Gonzalez putting Spain ahead then as the clock was ticking down. Time for the super subs to strike again. Alessia Russo headed the ball down to her best friend, Ella Toon, who volleyed in the equaliser. I imagine they have dreamt of similar scenes. <laughs> then in extra time, it was a Georgia Stanway stunner that made the difference. If you haven't seen a slow-mo replay of that, I urge you to look at it. You'll be watching it constantly until we next see the Lionesses in action on Tuesday. England are into the semi-finals with a 2-1 win at the Amex in Brighton and doesn't that sound good. Let's firstly reflect on that sublime Stanway goal, Jen. I've just said it there. I can't stop watching it. What a goal. What a way to seal England's place in the semi-finals. Yeah, well, anybody who's watched Georgia Stanway play knows she's got that in her locker. A foot like a traction engine if you want to get all Alan Partridge about it. Um, <laughs> and they backed off, didn't they? They just kept backing off. Actually, the crowd were shouting shoot a lot because they felt that players were getting in positions to, to have an effort and they weren't, occasionally they weren't doing it, but she didn't need to be invited twice. And we had quite a good angle behind it and it just flew. It was amazing. <laughs> I really was, and I'm so pleased for her because actually I think she's, there have been quite a few unsung heroes, but coming into the tournament, I wouldn't have picked her out to be one of England's best players, and I think she's really stood up. I mean, she was phenomenal throughout the game, full of energy, making tackles, and then to, to pull that goal out, just brilliant. How hard is it, Kelly, to hit it as she did? Because it was quite some distance far out that she struck it from. Yeah, what I like about uh, this this strike is that she had the ball central, but she took it more to the right of the goal. So it, it was probably harder to hit it more central. But when she put it to the right, it gave her a better angle to hit the ball. And the two centre-halves, like Jen just touched on, they they didn't defend it properly. They should have come out and engaged her, which by by backing off, and I think it's Leon had her arms behind her back, which then just said, shoot. So Georgia Stanway just took that opportunity. And as soon as it left her foot, I was like, that's a goal. You just know. she, You just feel it. You see the angle of the ball. It was just a phenomenal strike to take it so so coolly, so calmly. And, and she fully deserved it, like Jen said. She's been one of the unsung heroes of this England team. Yeah, it felt like there's been quite a few unsung heroes and great to see her get the limelight tonight. Let's talk about the other goal then that, of course, ensured England took it to added time. Manchester United best friends Alessia Russo set up Ella Toon six minutes from time, as we said. And talking of Toon and Russo, Kelly, I'm going to make you blush a little bit now. We actually asked them who their idol was, who inspired them to reach this level. And this is what they said. I think growing up I used to love Kelly Smith 
Um, as a striker, I think she was unbelievable. Also liked Thierry Henry. I know I'm not an Arsenal fan or play for Arsenal, but I thought he was brilliant. But yeah, Kelly Smith was my, my idol for England. So, yeah. Obviously, I think it was different um, when we were growing up. There wasn't that many people to look up to, but I always remember Kelly Smith. Um, I think she was an unbelievable player and someone who was you always heard of. She, she was a goal scorer and she, she, when she played, she played with her heart on her sleeve and she gave everything. And I think it's so exciting now for us to be in, in the position where we can be role models to all those young girls and boys growing up and, and watching us. And yeah, I think it's special that there's so many more role models now uh, in women's football. You're going to take a bit of credit then, Kelly? Look at that. They've looked up to you and then they perform like that on the big stage. No, that's really nice to hear. It warms my heart. If I had a tiny bit of impact in their career as a role model, that that's brilliant for me to hear. But I'm not going to take any praise for their performances. I think both of them have been outstanding when they've come on. I think England has scored four goals via substitutes more than any other team. And these two have so much, give them so much credit for what, what they've done when they come on. They really lift the team. They're so attack-minded on the front foot and they galvanise the England team and they've done. They've shown time and time again that they really connect on the pitch for a couple of goals. And it's, it's brilliant to see this England team performing the way that they are. The adversity that they had in this, this game, as I said before, to dig deep and round, grind out this result was, was really pleasing because, as I said before, the three games that they've played, they haven't conceded. So to go a goal behind and then fight back the way they did there's something special going on within this England team. Yeah, how important could the experience of tonight be, do you think, Jen? Because we've seen them blow teams away. But as Kelly said there, we haven't seen them in these situations before and they showed they can cope. Yes, with massive confidence boost. I mean, they knew they had happy people. They, they, they had confidence <laughs> before for, from blowing teams away, but to come from behind is, is huge. And I also think the impact of it goes beyond the squad as a nation, as football fans, okay, winning eight nil, winning five nil is fantastic. But uh, when when you see a team come from behind like that in dramatic fashion, that really does capture the imagination, and that really is going to pull even more people on board with the drama and the excitement of it. You also mentioned the subs, then Kelly, and we've talked about it so much. The fact that England's bench and their strength in depth could be what sees them go potentially, hopefully all the way in this tournament. But we've also got to talk about Serena Wiegmann tonight. Had she not been there, of course, she tested positive for COVID last week, missed the Northern Ireland game. Her presence was always going to be felt, but particularly given the way the game panned out tonight, how important do you think it was that she was there not only to make those substitutes, even taking Rachel Daly off, maybe recognising that that wasn't quite working, but also having her presence on the touchline tonight to inspire them. Yeah, and she she does have a really big presence. You could see that. You could see the players, Lucy Bronze, coming over and, and getting feedback and getting little bits of information to relay to the team. She has this presence about her and the players really respect her and she's cutthroat. She knows what she wants. She knows what she wants for, from her players and they've performed for her today. And like you said, Rachel Daly was struggling. She dove in for the the goal, the cross that was um, come across and she made that substitution. She looked tired, Rachel Daly, for me. But also Jill Scott coming in, you know, winning headers, breaking up play. Nikita Paris working tirelessly. They're the subs that you need. They haven't played. Nikita Paris, I think that was her first minutes in the game, but it was just the right 
right subs at the right time just to like get the game won, get the team over the line. That is why she is one of the world's best coaches. That's why the FA was so keen to bring Serena Wiegmann in to make these changes, Jen. But let's not forget that, particularly in the first half, gosh, it is loud where you are, isn't it? There is some party <laughs> happening at the Amex. I think we can excuse them tonight. I can now see Jen peering around asking to be quiet. It's okay, we can excuse them a bit of a party there <laughs> tonight. Let's talk a little bit, though, about the early stages of that performance. When things weren't quite going right for England, why do you think that was? Yeah, well, it, it's been a, such a, a good side, aren't they? And actually, I think the, the substitutes were the important change but they actually maybe should have been made earlier I think Russo coming on was huge because it it meant that the Spanish defence had to start to pull back Ellen White was putting in the work but she wasn't showing that she'd be able to get behind them so she wasn't frightening them in that sense when she came on they started to to move to move back and back and make more space in front of them it it really did change the game in 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 quite a large way Um, in the first half we know that Spain can keep the ball, and I thought that Mariana Caldante was superb tonight. Aitana Bonmati took on the, the rantle once Mariana went off, but if you look at the stats, Mariana touched the ball more than any other player on the field while she was on there. She made 21 passes in and around the area, and they all found her, her intended target. So there were some Spanish players, as Kelly said before, who were really playing at the top of their game that's the best they've performed so far in the tournament and and actually a journalist said behind me and he's English he said that Spain don't deserve to lose this and and that's how that's how good they were but England found the way to win that's what we talk about in big tournament games yeah we saw just how upset the Spain players understandably were at full time but what did you make of their performance Kelly because lots of people were saying that it was their best performance of the tournament so far, but there were suggestions on the TV coverage that potentially, whilst England made good substitutes, potentially the Spain ones didn't actually help their cause. Yeah, I thought Spain were really at it the first half. I thought they looked dangerous down the left-hand side with uh, Caldente. Um, They had a lot of possession. They were very decisive, especially first half, just pulling England apart. And Bob Matty, what a player she is. I'm one of her biggest fans. I thought she was fantastic but like you said the subs later on in the game um, really didn't help Spain and I think that that galvanized England with the subs that they made and then England began to believe more and got on top of the game more and then took the game to Spain and then Spain were kind of retreating and couldn't cope but I thought I just have to point out Millie Bright I thought she was outstanding she put her head her body in the way of everything alongside Leah Williamson so it was all an all-round team performance. Mary Earps was fantastic in goal for what she had to do. And these players have just delivered in this moment. And there were times up until six minutes to go, I'm thinking we're going out. And then someone <laughs> pulled out a, a, this bag of magic and then we end up winning the game. It's just something that we haven't seen. Jen, you've been involved in the game for as long as I have. We haven't seen this from an England side ever. With the performances against Norway brilliant and then this performance tonight it wasn't our best performance but we managed to win when we probably shouldn't have yeah I normally would have worried but I didn't worry at any point tonight I mean it's just not in my character to be like this at half time I was telling other journalists in the lose that don't worry the subs are going to win this don't worry I've never ever felt like that and I felt like that tonight and and being behind Serena Beegman she's standing on the touchline that's the importance that she has because she exudes that calmness and it's going to be okay. It's, it's, it's really crazy how that could happen. 
I thought, yeah, I thought Mary Earps was actually brilliant. You know, that was a lot of pressure she was under and she dealt with it with it hugely. Just right throughout the team, Lucy Bronze was a beast tonight, certainly in the first half when they were under pressure. She was the one that was getting on the front foot and winning things. And I've uh, this is my sixth Euros I've covered, um, mainly inspired by Kelly. So there you go, you're getting a bit more um, love here. Um, yeah, it was it was. A new level for England, certainly. But they've got another big task in the semi-finals. Have you, have you got a tear in your eye? Not quite. <laughs> Not tonight, actually. Not tonight. Not tonight. Maybe the semi-final when we beat Sweden or Belgium. How about that? I was going to say, if we're getting this emotional at a quarter-final, just imagine <laughs> the scenes. If, if we were to go all the way. Well, put England to one side for just a moment. Let's get the Spanish perspective now. Spanish journalist Bea Redondo joins us. Bea, thank you for being with us today. Commiserations on Spain going out. But as we've just said there, as disappointed as you are, you must be pretty proud of the performance that the team put in because arguably it was their best performance of the competition. Yeah, I think this was the game we were all waiting for, actually, from Spain. Um, that very solid performance, you know, very focused uh, on a kind of that defensive mindset of making sure that they were tied defensively and not conceding at the beginning of the game as they had before. But I also think it was just that, you know, kind of that little lack of, of shooting, of goal-scoring opportunities in the end, because it was an incredible performance. But if you're just, you know, one goal ahead anything any play is going to just turn it around for you and then you have to just mentally regroup and try and face a completely different game so I think it was a very good and solid performance from Spain but again a little more productivity in the final third just shooting like essentially (laughs) and scoring uh, I think would definitely help this team moving forward. Talking of the final third, what was your reaction when you saw the Spain starting lineup before the game, starting with the number nine, Esther Gonzalez? Were you pleased that they went with that? I was pleased. I think, you know, we've been, I think in Spain, we've mostly been asking for Amayur Sarregui, which, um, you know, she came in towards the, the end. And I think it was a, you know, Good news to have a stare there because it's a kind of someone that you can look out for to make those movements. But, you know, I was really looking forward to seeing maybe Emma Yur come in a little earlier. And I think, you know, when she did come in, she came in in a very difficult position because it was like, OK, everyone's been waiting for you. Now go, you've got 10 minutes to try and solve this mess. But I think, you know, I think it, the attacking third that Spain brought in today, it was a very, very interesting, um, I think, combination of you know coming in through the wings but also having a stars movement uh, which I think she did quite well I think she could have done a bit more moving around and and trying to find those spaces but I think she did a good job and I was very pleased to see her goal because she didn't really deserve it like she had been um, fighting for it and um, it was hard on her I think not being able to score before that. Kelly and Jen and I were just discussing then the substitutions and the way in which England positively used theirs, as they have done in other games, to change and turn the game in their favour. There was a suggestion, though, that potentially the substitutions that Spain made didn't really help their cause this evening. Yeah, I think the the problem was that change of of Tere for Laia Alexandri was a bit of an issue because it moved um, and also kind of moving Mariona more centrally, bringing in Shayla for... No, I don't know. It was a bit of a kind of moving players around and losing kind of a stare in that kind of central position at first forced Mariona into a more kind of 
central position where we didn't have anyone we could look out for to make those runs like Esther was making it for. So I think we lost a bit of that momentum over there. We also changed Atenea from one side to the other, which, you know, she was doing a really good job on, on her side. Um, and um, and yeah, and I think it was kind of the the kind of change of Tere for I Alexandria. It was a little bit kind of on the defensive side too early on, and so that meant that you know you had to hold on for a very long time, and you were only one goal ahead, which is a very complicated position to be in because you want to maintain that game. But as soon as it changes, as soon as you can see the goal, then you need to restart, mm. and you've already lost that striker in instead. You now don't have kind of that player over there to look out for in those runs so yeah definitely I think the changes they weren't terrible but I do think it was probably a little bit too soon just white went into just hold back and and you know defend I know it is still very raw but how will you reflect and how will the Spanish public reflect on this quarterfinal exit in this tournament as a whole I don't know. I think there's a combination of those that have joined in during this Euros um, are going to probably feel like a lot of us felt after the quarterfinals in the World Cup when we fell to the US. Like, okay, we lost, but it was a great game. You know, momentum is here. We can build on this and we can develop as a team. I think those have been that have been around for longer. There are some tactical questions about, you know, how Jorge Vilda is managing the squad and the decisions that he's making. And so there's a lot there of, you know, you can have great players, you can have awesome players. And I think the players have been driving this all along the Euros. But if you don't make the right tactical decisions and if... I don't know how to phrase it, but weird personnel decisions coming in, like not playing certain players for very obscure reasons, then that's obviously going to, you know, affect your team dynamics. So I think, you know, probably the general public is going to be excited. And with everything that we've seen in Spain recently with women's football, we'll probably get a lot more, you know, kind of um, attention. But I do think questions have to be asked around management. Well, I'm sure the debrief will continue. Bea, thank you so much for being with us tonight. We will let you go to reflect on that a little bit more and maybe potentially drown your sorrows as well. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euro Edition. Well, back to England. Lindsay, of course, was at the Amex for this one and she sent us this voice note at full time. These are the matches and the moments that reporters live for. If only I had a better sense of direction coming out the stadium to hot-foot it to the interview area. I ran the wrong way and got very out of breath by the time I got in the tunnel. So as I'm meeting the Lionesses who played 120 minutes of football, I was the one that was out of breath. But anyway, that embarrassment aside, what a performance. I thought it spoke volumes that Millie Bright was player of the match because she put her head on the line, her body on the line so much. But it was also a testament to what Spain had done in this match. They never relented. They kept on going. You could see how much they planned meticulously to try and really frustrate England. And the high press worked so well, especially in the first half. But for England, I mean, that Georgia Stanway winner, what a beauty it was. And I think it came really out of nowhere. Just a few moments before, she pulled up with a bit of cramp. It looked like she was struggling. And then up pops that goal. It was incredible. Lucy Bronze spoke to me. She was saying about her experience and how she used and relied on that to try and get through extra time. I did ask if she was feeling it in her legs and she said, no, I could play another 90 minutes. And, you know, I believe her. And Serena Wiegmann as well, 
those shots of her at full time. We haven't seen her so elated this tournament yet. She's been very restrained and controlled, but she absolutely let it go today. You could see the relief. And she reacted to that. She did say that Spain have been the toughest test, but now she feels that her team have got real character. They've shown that. They've proven they can come from behind. And going into the semi-final, they are really well equipped. And the semi-final is where we're heading. Yay! Lindsay Hooper there, fresh from the match. And if I know Lindsay, I reckon she'll be heading to the fridge around about where Jen is now checking out those beers once she's finished with her post-match duties. Now, looking forward in the semi-final, England will face the winner of the game between Sweden and Belgium. That one takes place on Friday. Now, two Sweden players are out with COVID right now and three more missed training with cold symptoms, including Jonna Andersson and Hannah Benison. So... Obviously, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, Kelly, by already thinking about the semi-final. But the beauty of England playing first is that they've got that little bit more time to have a look at that game. What do England need to take from this game against Spain into the semi-final, do you think? A lot of pride, a lot of confidence. The confidence has built, been building up until this game. I think whoever they play, I'm leaning more towards Sweden from what I've seen out of the two teams. I think Sweden probably have the strongest squad out of Belgium it's it's upsetting for these players to be missing potentially it's horrible that this virus is still around affecting the teams but yeah I think I think Sweden I'm going to do the game um, but I, I really do think Sweden have the best squad in terms of the, an experienced goalkeeper Lindau Caroline Sager highly experienced Ericsson Anderson used to playing together Rolfo Blackstenius yeah, I just think they've, do you know what, they haven't set the tournament light so far, but they're building. And like we said before, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And I just think their squad is is probably too strong for Belgium. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one that, and obviously now, Jen, so many more English eyes are going to be on it to just see you, Serena Wiegmann's side will face. Yeah, well, well, I think another thing that's quite crucial that England will take from this is uh, two extra days. <laughs> they, they, that's what they've got all the way through this tournament. They've been allowed extra days to recover. But they've also got the belief to know that if something goes wrong, it will come right again. But Sweden, from 1 to 11, have the strongest 11, in my opinion. But if they lose any player from that starting lineup, the, the weaknesses start to, to come in. They don't have the best squad. They might have the most experienced, solid 11. Maybe Germany, you could argue, similar. But Sweden, lose one player, lose two players, which is starting to happen, and that really seriously weakens them. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Well, we're going to round off this England chat. So it's time to bring out the Hope-ometer. This, regular listeners will know, tracks how we are feeling about England's chances of winning the Euros. Now, after the Northern Ireland win, Laura Bassett, she gave it the big one. She gave it 8.6, while Charlotte Harper from The Athletic went for 7.2. There's been a lot of optimism on this podcast so far. So come on then, Kelly, where are you on the hopeometer? So if Bass said 8 point what? 8 point 8.6. 8.6. I'll have to go, if it's out of 10, I'll have to go 9.4. Oh, that shows just how impressive I think that win this evening was. Jen, are you feeling as optimistic? Are we going to get any closer to 10? I was 8.4 after the Norway game and I'm <laughs> 8.5 now. Oh, Jen, it's got to be a little bit more than that. No, come, on. come on. You've got to be balanced. There were, there were moments when England were really exposed, but I think they'll score more than everybody else. But I think the semi-final is a big banana skin. 
Ooh. From the optimism of the start of the podcast to that, Jen's just throwing that one in, keeping it all real, <laughs> which is what we like as well. We'll see if our predictions are right. But for now, it's time to savour the victory with this. Hand to the left, me to the right. Ellen's up front, Millie's looking bright. They don't need introduction. Follow Serena's instruction. Hand to the left, me to the right. Ellen's up front, Millie's looking bright. They don't need introduction. Follow Serena's instruction. Well, coming up on Thursday is the second quarterfinal, Germany versus Austria. So to get the feeling from Austria's side, producer Sophie caught up with Tom Midler in Vienna. Very excited to have Tom Midler with us on the Athletic Women's Football podcast today to preview the second quarterfinal, Germany against Austria. Tom, you'll be watching from out in Vienna. Is this one that Austria can win? I think they can, you know. Um, I don't think I'd be putting a lot of money on them doing it. It would be a historic achievement if they were to beat Germany. It's also a little bit extra special, the fact that it is Germany that Austria are playing against. But if you look at the way they qualified from the group, obviously Germany were exceptional. But in a knockout game, there's certainly a chance that Austria can get through. If you look how they played against England as well, it went a little bit under the radar at the time because everyone was talking about maybe a little bit of disappointment that England only won 1-0 or they didn't really create that much. But then when you look through the rest of England's group, you've got to go back and say, actually, Austria managed to nullify England quite well and they'll be quite buoyed by that, I think, ahead of the game against Germany. Do you think that their defence has what it takes against the likes of Alex Pop, who's obviously been incredible for Germany this campaign, and also also their other threats up front? I guess I would look at it this way. I think in Manuela Zinsberger, they've got an absolutely incredible goalkeeper, and that really helps. They do have a very solid defence, Austria, but um, players like Victoria Schnaderbeck have not quite been at their best you know she's not been at her best she brings a lot of experience she's actually questionable for this one with a a knock to her knee but they haven't had to be at their very very best in the group stages because they've actually not been under all that much pressure if you look at the game against Northern Ireland there was just a very very short phase where Northern Ireland had a couple of corners Austria's game against Norway as well was almost entirely played in the you know in the Norway penalty area until 89 90th minute those sort of things where Norway just you know threw caution to the wind because it was looking like they were about to go out so really Austria have been quite solid in midfield really good in defensive midfield in terms of keeping things keeping things very tight and sort of trying to create play from there but it hasn't been like they've had an all out onslaught to defend against so far and I think we might see that against Germany that uh, that they are called upon You said obviously it's special that they're playing against Germany. I think it's 12 Austria players are playing in the Frauen Bundesliga. You've got Sarah Zadrizil, one of their stars from Bayern Munich. Can you see any kind of big matchups there from the same teams? Can you see that making a difference? There are some, definitely. You know, Zadrizil is a good one to pick out because she's got so many Bayern Munich teammates in the team there that that will be interesting I think maybe uh, Sarah Debritz though in the Germany midfield is going to be the key one because she for me has been quite a playmaker for Germany you know she does actually for Germany what the Austria team have done so well at this tournament which is just dealing with the ball in midfield looking out from there who who's that going to go to how are we going to move forward from here so that's sort of the main strength that Austria have had if you look at Zadrazil particularly how good she is on the ball and and how good all of the Austrian midfielders are at going into the challenges and winning the ball back I'd say this Germany team definitely have all of those Austria strengths and some more again so it's going to be really really tough for them. 
And people obviously kind of looking at this may think Austria are underdogs, but they did reach the semi-final in 2017, didn't they? So that experience may help them coming into this game. I think you're definitely right to pick out the experience of that and saying that that will help them. The core of that team from 2017 are still here. There's a couple of new younger faces joining uh, for 2022, but really the team that got to the semi-finals, they've they've kept that big game experience. And since 2017, a lot of them have got more big game experience with their club sides now. A lot of them have moved on to much bigger and better things. Um, Austrian football was basically, uh, women's football was not really on the map when 2017 happened. It's a, a real outlier. So, I don't think Austria are to be sort of considered as as favourites. I think they're a team that consistently punch above their weight. Um, they've done that in the qualifiers as well. They've actually been very solid but not spectacular since 2017. So there's not been a, a huge growth in, in women's football. But the team, you can see, they're moving up. They're slowly just, just very well coached. They're very well managed and they are progressing slowly but to to be in sort of the top four of Europe in 2017 and the top eight in Europe now that is Austria punching above their weight there's no way that they should really be considered as one of the top 10 teams in Europe there's simply just not enough players here there's not enough budget in the Austrian Football Federation there's not enough female players uh, joining football there's not enough players to choose from so Austria really make the absolute best out of what they've got but um, if they were to get to the semi-finals again it, it would be another sensation really and there's a there's a very famous game between Austrian the Austrian men's team and uh, the German men's team in the 78 World Cup and this is the the game that took place in Cordoba where Austria beat Germany and and every Austrian football fan knows about Cordoba (laughs) you know just the word Cordoba on its own just brings back all these memories you know it's 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 perhaps England's 1966 in a way you know it's it's Austria's version of that because there's there's so little to sort of hang on to in Austrian football and if they were to beat Germany in this quarter final I think uh, Brentford could be the new Cordoba for Austrian football which would be fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) that would be brilliant what's the mood like in Vienna around this game that's coming up is there a bit of a buzz will people be watching in squares kind of what's the what's the vibe in in Austria they will be yeah we love watching football outside here people you do this it seems to happen more here than it does in England you know with any of these tournaments there's big screens there's outdoor public viewings for all these games and uh, as I mentioned earlier the the fact that it's against Germany does add a bit of extra uh, spice to it definitely so I think the general public will will be even more interested for this one given that it's against Germany I love that idea of the local rivalry with the Germany and the Austria. Thank you so much, Tom Midler, for speaking to us. I really appreciate it and enjoy watching the game. Thanks a lot. You're very welcome. Well, that was producer Sophie catching up with Tom Midler in Vienna. So will Brentford be the new Cordoba for Austria who consistently punch above their weight, according to Tom. We shall see. What do we reckon for Germany then, Jen? Will it be a walk in the park for them, this one? I think it'll be a bit of a, a physical scrap. Both times I've seen Austria and Germany, they've they've liked to put the, the boot in. A bit like tonight. Tonight was a physical game, but Germany are so robust. Austria are the only team to have held England to, to one goal. Since Serena took over, that's how good their defence is. And with Nicole Bieler off the the mark, and she plays her football for Hoffenheim in Germany, and they understand the German game, Austria will actually be quite a a, a tough proposition for Germany. Having said all that, I still think that Germany are are looking so impressive. I think that they've, they've got the edge of this. And if they score early, then there'll just be no way back for Austria. And Kelly, they're going to have Leah Schuller back from COVID. That's a huge boost for them, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But do you start pop? You know, she scored mm. three and three. 
fantastic player. Has this is her first Euros. Um, she's missed the last couple through injury. I've been really impressed with Germany. No one was talking about them coming in. Said so they've got a lot of young players mixed in with a little bit of experience, but their midfield um, with Oberdorf, McGill, and the names eluded me. Uh, the other player, but I really like Clara Ball and Hooth on the side. I think they've been, when they get the ball to those players, similar to England, they make things happen. Hooth's crossing has been phenomenal. She doesn't necessarily really beat players. She just gets a yard. It reminds me of Beckham at this at this um, <laughs> this player. It's not like, she just needs a little bit of a, 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 I don't know, five or six centimetres just past and just, yeah, it's just a great crosser of the ball. Clara it's just magnificent coming in the back post. I just like their way that they play. They control the game in the middle of the park. And yeah, they're strong defensively. I think for me, it's England and Germany, the best two teams I've seen so far. I think I think Germany are stronger defensively because they've been they've been tested and stood up to it a little bit mm. better against Spain, although they did get that early goal. You mentioned Hoot and definitely Svenja Hoot and Julia Gwynn down the right. They're fantastic. Yeah. And then you've got Buell's pace or you they're similarly to England, they can put Jules Brand on. They've got pace to come on. Schuler's fast, Pops got the guile and, and wise and good in the air. They really are the real deal. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Well, in other Euros-related news, the Netherlands have Vivian Miedemar back from COVID, but Barcelona's Lika Martins is out with a foot injury she picked up against Switzerland. And Norway head coach Martin Sjöden has resigned after they didn't make it out of the group stages and lost 8-0 to England. That's all we have time for on today's Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros editions. A big thank you to Kelly and Jen. I've got to ask you, which matches are you at next? And Jen, I imagine whatever match you're at, you're hoping it won't be quite as tense as tonight. I'll be at the game tomorrow in Brentford. So I'm going to see that scrap between Germany and Austria and I'm really looking forward to it. (laughs) Oh, I'm at that one as well. So hopefully see you there. Kelly, what about you? Where does your Euros adventure take you next? I'm heading to Wigan on Friday to do Sweden v Belgium. So I'm really looking forward to that one because obviously then that's the team. Whoever wins that game plays England. So maybe I'll be scouting for for Serena in that game. I'll be taking notes for her to pass pass on to the the hotel. I intend to spend less time in a noisy kitchen at Brentford, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I think we'll leave it there. Jen, Kelly, thank you so much. And also thanks to producer Sophie, but an even bigger thanks to you, the listener. We will be with you every step of the way for the rest of the Euro. So don't go anywhere. Keep listening and spreading the word. And while you're at it, do follow or subscribe to our channel. We'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. The Athletic.